A handful of weeks ago, I think we were all largely indifferent to the world. A few weeks ago, most of us were uh, doing our own things, living our own lives, running at our own pace. All of us consumed with what we had going on in our lives and our days and our schedules. Most of us largely unaware of this thing called the coronavirus that would literally stop Americans in their tracks, including you and I. Over the last handful of days, though, almost overnight, many of us in this, uh, in this setting have become homeschoolers. Uh, many of us have begun to see our families almost every waking moment of the day. We have breakfast together, you have lunch together, you have dinner together, uh, you do family things together, and in some ways, uh, you are trying to find a new normal. For some of us, we are a little bit worried about things that are happening around us now. Some of us are seeing a reduction in hours. Some of us have seen our paychecks now cut in half. Others of you might have even lost your job. But here's what I want you to realize. Just as we have been reading First uh, Peter this week as a body of Christ here at Stone Point, uh, what we would know is this, is that with every trial, with every challenge comes an amazing opportunity. That God can use some of the greatest uh, things in our lives to, in a sense, refine our faith, to shake us up a bit, to begin to mold us and change us and transform us. Matter of fact, that's why we began a series last week called The Art of Being Different in a World of Indifference. Most of us are now uh, beginning to pay attention to maybe the things that God is doing around us. And for some of us, we know that our families need lots of work, that our marriages need to be invested in, that our finances need to be paid a little more careful attention to, and that our God needs more of our heart than maybe we've been giving Him in recent days. Matter of fact, Romans 12 helps us to understand and align our hearts with God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 help us to see that our obligation in life is to honor the very one who brought about a work of salvation in our lives. We are to give him everything that we have because it honors God. And then as we move into the following verses today and next week, verses 3 through 21 help us to not just look at a view of God, but help us to look at a view of others. It reminds us of the great words that Jesus said, that the greatest commandment is to love our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is to love our neighbor as ourself. Romans 12 is a parallel text that helps us see that from that lens. Matter of fact, let's just recall a couple of things from last week. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it just says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When you ask yourself the question, am I doing the will of God? You might ask yourself a handful of things. One is, if, if I were to dine with Jesus over the last week, just as I have with people around me and my family, would he approve of the content in which we've discussed? Would he approve of the way that I've loved or served? Are the things that I'm doing in my life a pleasantry to our God? Or in many ways, do they take away from honoring him? Do the things that 
uh, we respond to and the ways that we respond, do they resemble graciousness in speech and in conduct and in love? Or do they resemble more of an anger, a hostility, or a harshness? Are the very things that come out of us honoring God? Are the things that we're thinking about in this day, are, are they good? Are they pleasing? Are they uh, holy? Are they, are they revealing the character of God in our lives or is it not? Because after all, if you read Romans 12, 1 and 2, here is the premise of those two verses. That our goal in our life and in the days in which we love God and serve Him is to be like Him. To be excellent. To be honorable. To do everything in our lives for the glory of God. The goal is simply this. To be holy. That's what we've read in 1 Peter. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Peter encourages uh, Gentile believers running because of hostility, because of chaos, and because of challenges. He goes, see this as an opportunity. See this as an opportunity in a world that, that is, in a sense, bringing about judgment upon you. See it as a time to align your hearts with God. Church, that is the time that we're in. A chance for you and me to align our hearts with God. So Peter says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That is the goal of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then we pick up in verse 3 as it relates to how we conduct ourselves, not only in the presence of God, but also in the presence of other people. And this is what Paul would encourage the church of Rome to do. He would say, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, you, not, you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The reality of, of this text is simply to, to help us understand that if we are truly loving God and we're not being conformed to the patterns of this world, that you're going to find in the Christian life a spirit of humility, a spirit of gentleness and respect, but people who realize that they shouldn't become haughty or proud or arrogant because everything they have is from God. I don't know about you, but I think one of the greatest things we can learn in this season and time in our day is how proud Americans can be. Proud of our stuff, proud of our heritage, proud of our traditions, proud of the American dream, the family, and the society that we've created. And when those things are stripped away, the question is, is what are you proud about? And what part of the arrogance is God trying to remove so that you understand that in Christ we are to be humble? Matter of fact, here's why we need to realize that we should be humble is because everything we have is from God. Not only the things that belong to us as, as our homes or our children or our heritage, but also the very things that God has gifted with us in the faith. The spiritual gifts that we have, the abilities, the talents, all of those are from God and for God. Let me say it again. They're all from God and they're all for God. Our lives are to be poured out as a drink offering, a fragrant offering before God. That is why he has called us to be his sons and daughters. That's why he's calling us to leave our past behind and to run towards him in humility. 
a great uh, man named Jim Elliott said it this way, we are nobodies telling everybody about somebody that can save anybody. That is the goal of our lives, that in humility we would simply tell other people in humility about what God has done for us, the things that he's blessed us with, the way that he has enriched us, enriched us in all the heavenly things that we have. And so we need to realize that as Paul is speaking here, he's, in, he's inquiring of the believers there to simply note that we should see humility and respect amongst other people. In verse 4, he helps us outline why that is. And it's simply because of the things we've received from God for the benefit of other people, i.e. the body of Christ. For example, in verse 4, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So what we know is this, is that uh, just as our body has many members, uh, just as it has uh, toes and eyes and ears and nose, just as we have mouth and we have uh, arms and we have legs, uh, as we have fingers, all of those things work together. And you don't really notice how uh, important these parts are until one of them's missing or one of them is not functioning properly. But should, should a hand ever get arrogant and say to the mouth that you, you don't need it? And that's what Paul is asserting to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's helping them to even realize that every part has a function. Matter of fact, even though they have functions, they don't all have the same functions. So that helps us to realize in humility that every part is needed within the body of Christ. That even though you might see greater roles and distinction of those roles, we cannot fulfill the mission of God, loving Him and loving others, without every member doing its function. Verse 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. So we are to honor one another simply because we all need one another. And we should all care for one another because that's what we would do for our own bodies. And so just as we would do those things for our own bodies, we ought to be thinking through what it looks like to need others. A long time ago, matter of fact, almost a hundred years ago, uh, there were two gentlemen that actually met at a college in Chicago called Kent College. Um, on the very first day of class, almost uh, in, in some coincidental type of way, a guy named Thomas Overton was walking down the steps when he ran into a guy named Stan, uh, Stanley Kaprizik. Uh, Thomas uh, was a guy who was blind, and Kaprizik happened to have no arms. And so as Thomas was walking down the staircase in which they met, Kaprizik helped him walk down by sharing with him as they went. went. But it wasn't too long after they got down to the stairs that they needed to go out the door, and Kaprizik could do nothing about it because he had no arms to open the doorknob, in which the blind man, uh, Overton, who couldn't see, could open the door, in which he did so. And they would become a pair of people. Matter of fact, Overton would one day receive a high award of the college. He would be the number one student in his class, and he would accept an award, and he would say, I can't rightly accept this award for myself. Because my buddy Kaprizik deserves half of the credit. And then this is what he would say. I would carry the books and my buddy Kaprizik would read them so that I could understand them. These two men, in all of their deficiencies, made up for one another in a very special and unique way. 
These two men in the 1930s would go on to open their own law firm together and they would become men who were using their differences to strengthen one another. Church, I don't know if you understand that, but this is what the church is about. Realizing that we in humility all need one another. Paul does mention it to the church of Corinth in this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and th- uh, through, for, uh, through verses 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of, me- of many." See, the reality is, is everything that we have, all our gifts, all our treasures, all our hopes, all our dreams, all our securities, and all of our insecurities are founded in Christ. And in order for us to be his people, we ought to do so in humility and with love in our hearts for one another. Why? Because we need one another. And my prayer is that in this season of our lives, as we're in many ways trying to find new normals and new schedules and and trying to wade through all the things going on, I pray that we would know that the church now needs one another more than maybe we've ever needed or experienced that in our entire life. For many of us, we've never seen uh, a time such as this. And it is a great chance for us to realize how essential the body of Christ is. Matter of fact, uh, as we think about the essentials, uh, we have recently heard uh, that there are some lockdowns going on in a variety of counties. Uh, we know that counties that are nearby and adjacent to us are uh, having shelter-in-place orders. And here's what's interesting about a shelter-in-place order is that they are encouraging people to stay home unless you are essential. And then I start asking the question, well, who's essential? Because I bet as you're sitting there uh, enjoying our time together, you're going, well, I felt like I was essential. Uh, and then you get the notice that, hey, somebody told you you weren't. Uh, that, that because you don't have a particular profession, you, you, you get to stay at home and you can't go out. In many ways, uh, you are to be bound up. But here's what I just want to tell you. Listen, there is a no shelter in place rule uh, that, is, that is never affecting the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, you need to know this. All personnel in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ is essential. Church, you are essential. You need to fulfill the God-given roles and responsibilities He's given you because you are needed in the body of Christ. And I pray that as you sit right there in your place, regardless of your age, regardless of your um, your status, regardless of what you're feeling right now, I pray the Lord would gently nudge you and speak into your heart that it is time for the church of God to awaken here in the midst of our challenges. Why? Because every challenge presents an incredible opportunity for us to reveal the essential nature of God through his people. And verse 6 goes on and it says this, that we are having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And so although we're all essential, we do have different gifts. What I would basically say is this, we are to be unified in those gifts, but it doesn't mean that we have uniformity in those gifts. 
And so that while we are living together in the spirit of the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, if we're to get along, we do realize that we all look different. We're, we're diverse. We're, we're exactly what Paul had mentioned in the church of Corinth. He, we're, we're not only of different backgrounds, Jews, Greeks, uh, but we're slaves or free. Like We come from different heritages. We're different colors. We've got different personalities. We've got different lifestyles. But we are all made to, to drink of one spirit. Meaning, we are all what we are because of Christ. And everything that you are is because of His incredible grace in which He has given and apportioned to us. Matter of fact, as we think about the idea of spiritual gifts, it comes from a Greek word called charismita, which is where we would get the idea of um, grace, the, the where, where we would get the idea of charis, a, a charity of God. And it simply helps us to realize that everything we have is given from God at His discretion. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul would simply just say that everything that we have and, uh, is empowered by one and of the same Spirit who apportions each to us as individuals as He wills. So the Spirit is the one who gives out gifts. And then as you kind of begin to move down in, in chat, uh, chapter 12 of verse 6, he just begins to lay out in the next two verses of what the gifts are. And while this is just a handful of gifts, he, he helps us to discover and understand them in this context. That in order to love one another in humility, it means that we're not above others, but that we use our gifts. And then he goes, and here's a handful that you should use. So in verse 6, the latter part, he says, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. The idea of is he's going, hey, listen, if you're going to speak on behalf of God, then it ought to be in proportion to your faith. Meaning the very things that you proclaim and you prophesy about are, ought to be true in your own life. It would be foolish for a prophet of God to encourage people to do something that he's not doing himself. And then you might ask the question, well, what exactly is a prophet of God? Well, here's what I would tell you. It's, this, it's a person who exhorts and encourages someone to do God's will. It is someone who is speaking on behalf of God and his word. But everything a prophet says lines up with the word. And here's what I would just tell you. If you have the gift of, in a sense, prophesying over someone, um, what that means is everything you say, say lines up with the word of God and you have studied the word of God thoroughly, carefully, and explicitly so that you know that nothing you proclaim is without error or mixture or even a, a fragment or even a trace of lacking the truth. So everything you do is helping people understand God's word. I think a better way to say it is this, Prophecy in our day and our time is not about foretelling the future as much as it is about foretelling the fundamentals of God's word. See, we're not, we shouldn't be worried about some guy who's going to speak on, our, on God's behalf telling us of all the things in the future because God's already told us the future of God's word. We know what the future is. We know that we're living in perilous days. We know that our, our world is full of sin and error and doctrinal compromise. But what we need to be is foretelling the, the fundamentals of God's word, how to live for him, how to love him, how to respect and honor other people because he lives in us. Church, that's what we need more of. I would be careful of anyone who is trying to foretell the future. But I would always glean and listen and lean into people who are sharing forth the telling word of God in a fundamentally faithful way that you can understand. Pay attention to them. 
Verse 7 says, but if your gift is service, then you should serve. And for many of us in the body, uh, it is serving because you are looking for a place to serve. You can't sit down. Your eyes never stop roaming. You're always looking for something to do. In many ways, you're a busybody. You're looking for the next way to fulfill the role. The latter part of verse 7 says, but if you're the one who teaches, then hey, let it be done in his teaching. Uh, you know a teacher when you've got somebody who likes to explain things, someone who likes to give instruction, who when inquired about with a question, they love to systematically walk through things so that others can understand that. Some of us are, are those type of things. Uh, others of us are the ones who exhort in our exhortation. And so the one who exhorts is the one who brings about the encouragement. Uh, to other people. So I think the best way I could say it this way is a teacher is one who's training and one who exhorts is the one who's coming alongside and encouraging the workout to take place. So you got one who's saying, hey, this is how you're going to work out your faith. And you got another one that comes alongside and goes, now let's get to moving. Yeah, it's time to get to moving. It's time to get to sweating for the cause of Christ. And I would tell you this, there's a lot of you that you've been trained. You know what to do, but you've, no, you've had no one light a fire up under your rear to get you moving. And church, I can't think of a better time for our body to get to moving than in a time right now where there's opportunity. And so what is the opportunity bringing about? It's bringing about an opportunity for us to do God's work. And then for some of us, uh, in the latter part of verse 8, it means that we can contribute. And if we contribute, we do so in our generosity. There are many of us in this body that have the opportunity, the willingness, and the desire to be generous. But I would tell you that's a gift. Yes, we are obviously, obviously called, uh, as Paul would write to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, to be generous. And we are to be uh, people uh, that, that show our generosity and help others in need. We see that also in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, as well. And so, but what we need to realize is this, is that generosity is in some ways similar to hospitality. Somebody that's generous wants to take somebody in for a season and time and then help them get down the road. So they want to supply them with coats. They want to make sure that they're well fed. And then not only do they give them uh, coats and make sure they're well fed. Then they say, hey, we're going to stock up so that you are better off than when you arrived here. That's what generosity is. It is displaying kindness and the fervent love of God to other people. And I would tell you, church, this is a great time for our body to be generous. This is not a time for us to lock down everything we have and hoard it to ourselves. This is not a time for us to look at our pantries and go, you know what, I'm a, they're a little bit bare and I'm a little bit worried and so I'm going to keep everything to myself and hoard some more. No, this is the time to give things away in generosity, trusting that God will supply all of our needs according to the lavish riches of God's grace. The, the church would step up on your behalf. What an opportunity. And the one who leads, the latter part of verse 8 says, the one who leads should do so with zeal. With zeal doesn't necessarily mean the way that I'm coming with you today, which means, hey, I, I'm, I'm coming with an eager spirit. I'm coming with excitement or with some passion. That's not what zeal means in this text. What zeal means here is perseverance. It means that you continue to lead through difficult times. Dads, it's time to lead through difficult times. Homeschool moms, what a great chance to lead in difficult times. It is a time to reduce steadfastness, endurance, and zeal. Keep moving forward. 
Listen, Moses led the people in Israel and, and he was challenged and he lost zeal. Nehemiah led people to rebuild the wall and he was frustrated and he oftentimes lacked zeal. You would see in the New Testament that Timothy was encouraged by his buddy Paul in two letters to keep pressing on. Why? Because pastoring a church is hard and Ephesus was difficult. But he said, hey, don't lack zeal. Keep moving forward. Be steadfast. Don't give up the core things that you know you should be about. And church, that's true of us too. I'll tell you, pastoring a church is hard. Why? Because every member has an opinion. Everybody has a way that we think we should go. And listen, oftentimes I would say that in my ignorance and in my foolishness, you were probably right. But here's what I also know. God has called me to lead and he's called me to keep pressing forward even in times where I don't know where I'm going, simply trusting that if I will keep my eyes fixed on him, if you will keep your eyes fixed on, on him, that you can lead in your family, in your home, in your workplaces, in your business, in times that are difficult. So I would say, lead on. And we do so in the very last part of verse 8, with one who does acts of mercy. And we do it all with cheerfulness. Listen, to give an act of mercy, to forgive someone that is indebted to you can be difficult. But to do it with cheerfulness, to do it within a sense of eagerness is even more difficult. Friends, you have to really love God and you really have to understand the grace in which you receive from him to do those things with cheerfulness. But I pray that we would be a merciful people and that we would love others well. You know what? I think you could sum up the law and the prophets on two people. I also think that you could serve uh, really in a sense show the, the, the gifts uh, of God, the spiritual gifts on two people. And I think... Um, as many commentators would even agree that if you look at the spiritual gifts, they could be summed up in two characters in our Bible. And there are two sisters that are famously known. One of which, every time you see her, she is, in a sense, at the feet of Jesus, learning. She's inquisitive. She's desiring to know more from her, from her friend and, and from the Father in heaven and which has supplied his son Jesus to be a tangible witness to her. And her name is Mary. But then you have her sister. And we know that her sister Martha kind of gets a bad rap. Why? Because she's frantically chasing about. And I think I would just ask this question to you. Um, what are the gifts being displayed there? And I would tell you that I think that there's two really sets of gifts that we would see in all of the Scripture. I mean, you've got those classic gifts um, that have to do with, with speaking. And those are the things like prophecy or exhortation or teaching. And many of us are that way. We're inquisitive and we're learners and we like to pass those things on. But I would say there's a great other portion of the body that's much more like Martha. That they're serving. Uh, they're wondering that if the Messiah has come to my house, do I have everything in order? And so they're going about doing service and administrative roles and helps. And they're making sure hospitality's done. And they're making sure that mercy's in place and generosity to be given. And I want you to know is that we need both. But oftentimes we give each other a bad rap about it because we think if we're inquisitive and we're learning, then we're lazy. And then I would say this, on the other hand, if, if we're always scurrying around and doing things that we don't think are important, then we could also say, well, they've, got, they've just got their, uh, their, their priorities out of place. And here's what I want you to realize. We need everyone. 
And if we're not careful, we will become dangerous because we believe that the role we possess in the church is greater than other gifts. And we believe the role we play or the things we know should shape every other mind around us because we're so brilliant and we're so right. And here's what I would just warn you with this, that when your output exceeds your uh, intake, your upkeep becomes your downfall. Let me say that one more time. When your output exceeds your intake, your upkeep becomes your downfall. What does that mean? It means that you have nothing to offer the body of Christ in any way unless you're abiding in the Word of God. And if your outpouring of your gift is more essential than what you are taking in from God's Word, then I pray that you would repent and that we would seek God in this time. And can I just tell you that the way to know if, if you're maybe, in a sense, not doing what the Lord wants right now in your life is, is to ask this question. What would you do if Jesus were showing up at your house? Like if he was coming to your house this evening and he's going to be there, are you writing down questions to ask him? Are you preparing to sit at his feet and to learn and inquire of him? Or are you thinking about all the things in your house that should be done? Not only will that reveal what gifts you possibly have, but it could also reveal your heart. And so church, I pray that in this season, we would lean in not only to God and loving him well, but to lean in to loving the body of Christ and to exhorting and encouraging one another, not forsaking gathering together as some are the habit of doing, but all the more we'd spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And friends, we do it in a different way, but we still can do it. And so get on the phone. Hey, get in on a Zoom call, learn some technology and get to loving people because we all need each other. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as your church, the people of God. May our hearts be encouraged. May may we not be wise in our own eyes, but Lord, may our foolishness and may our lack of wisdom actually be something you use. God, we we realize that we are absolutely nothing to you unless we know you because we can't be anything apart from you. And so, Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you give us a new life in Christ. And we thank you that you make us essential personnel, that every part's needed. And there's never a point where you encourage the local body to sit on, uh, on their duff and stay at home because, Lord, we are a crucial part of the body. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.